0: And now, broadcasting from his floating home somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean, the dream business coach himself, Jim Palmer.
1: Good afternoon, everybody. This is Captain Jim Palmer. I am the Dream Business Coach coming to you from uh, South Carolina as we're recording this, but probably a little further north to the Chesapeake Bay as you hear this because we're a couple months behind. But I have have an exciting um, topic and a really great guest. The whole idea of creating a business is not just so you can have your freedom and be in control of your destiny. I also believe having a small business is a, an, a saleable asset that may set you up for worry-free retirement. Um, and uh, Jessica is an expert on that. Um, goodness, Jessica, I forgot to, <laughs> Jessica Fialkovich. is that?
2: <laughs> that is right. That is right. Actually though, my, I, I forgot to tell you my maiden name is Palmer, but yeah. Uh, is that yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it's Viakovich, yes. And it's creepy
1: so, one. Yeah, so funny. So as as we're as we're recording this, I look at it, I go, oh, I forgot to ask, but okay, well, that's good. So Jessica first became an entrepreneur at the age of 25 and has since been able to successfully establish, develop, and sell multiple small businesses in a number of different industries. In the last eight years. She's been able to build her business brokerage from a two-person team to one of the top firms in the United States. Under her leadership, the office has been the number one trans-world business advisor's franchise, franchise location in the world for the last five years, which is no small feat, and has made the Inc. 5000 list for the last three and has been recognized by the Financial Times, the Denver Business Journal, and others. Jessica is the founder of Exit Factor, which teaches business owners how to buy and sell businesses for the most profit and the least amount of time. This is a really important topic as Jessica and I were talking about. Well first let me welcome you. How you doing, Jessica?
2: I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having <laughs> me in the show.
1: Yeah, it's so actually we kind of rolled right through your your last name and it sounded like we we got it correct so I'm happy about yeah. that. <laughs> but um you know I'm so interested in this topic as I was sharing in our little green room chat and um I think so many small business owners, you know, they 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 use their god-given skill or talent, they open up a small business, work, you know, 10, 20 years, 50 years and then they're kind of like, "Well, what do I do now?" And they never really think of having that business as an asset that they can sell. Um, and mm-hmm. even those that are maybe a little more forward thinking, I think they think of selling. Hey, I'd like to sell this in the next six months, right? So, right. this is a big topic. So, 25 years old, were you right out? Of, did you go to college? Were you right out of college and become an entrepreneur?
2: Um, I, I actually, I came out of college and I worked in corporate for a few years. So, I worked in professional sports for the Philadelphia Eagles and Flyers before. Really. Iowa. Yeah, before I opened my own business, um, and I opened my own business out of necessity. It was it was the recession, and um, just needed to kind of find a job. And the really the only jobs that were available back then were the ones that you created.
1: That's right. Well, wow, that's I mean that's our old stomping grounds. Stephanie and I lived in um, suburb of Philadelphia, so I was a huge Eagles fan for a number of years. I no longer have their flag on my boat, but that's another story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but anyway, um, what did you do for the Eagles? Were you in marketing or
2: yeah. in marketing. So I worked um, there during college. I worked on their, their marketing team and did like a lot of game day stuff. And then when I moved over to the flyers, I, I worked in marketing, but it was, it was an interesting time because it, it was right when uh, social media was getting going and digital marketing. And I was the youngest person on the team. So they're like, you know what, you go figure out how we're going to incorporate all this stuff into, into the team marketing. So um, I did a lot of like the launching the Twitter channels, um, getting some digital advertising on our website, things like that.
1: That's so cool. We, we always look to the young folks, <laughs> the younger yeah. generation. What is parlor? I don't know. Let me ask my niece, you know. Yeah, so, exactly. um, so when you started your business at, at 25, what was that first business?
2: We actually opened, my husband and I opened a wine retail store in Naples, Florida. Um, There wasn't a whole lot of thought that went into the business. It was like, Hey, let's live in Naples on the beach for a few years. Sounds good. We like wine. Sounds good. Mm. Ended up with a business. Um, but, and we grew that into, um, doing online wine sales and we started actually dealing in high-end luxury wines, uh, with collectors across uh, the country and into Canada and Hong Kong.
1: Well, how exciting is that? And so did you sell that Did that? What happened to that business?
2: Yeah. So about three years in, I realized that living on the beach doesn't mean you're always on the beach. Uh, (laughs) Actually, you probably know this, right? (laughs) I know as a
1: business owner, there's, you're probably, well, darn, I didn't get to the beach this month. Right.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And, and I realized Florida was just not a fit for me. Um, I had actually spent some time in Colorado previous to the Florida business and knew we wanted to move there. So we decided we wanted to sell for personal reasons. Um, and about three years in, we were able to sell that business successfully and move to Colorado.
1: So was that, that's actually how you got your feet wet with the whole you know, buying and selling of a business, right?
2: Yeah. And it was interesting because, and this happens with a lot of our clients, like I was just burnt out and I woke up one day and I was like, I need to be done with this thing. Um, and there was no pre-planning. So I jumped in and and we hired a business broker. Um, but all of my college training, everything I had been through, um, as, as a corporate business person, as an entrepreneur, everyone taught me how, well, this is how you go start a business. This is how you market one and grow one, but no one ever talked about selling it. And, um, kind of the trials and tribulations we went through and that sale inspired us to get into the industry.
1: Wow. So when you moved out to Colorado, what was your next step? Did you start another business or did you, did you get into the, um, current business you're in now?
2: Yeah. So we started looking for businesses and we, we, our eyes were open. We're like, Hey, well, we don't have to start another business. Let's just buy one. Um, so we started searching for a business to buy and we couldn't find anything that fit what we were looking for. So then the, the, actually the trans world office we now own was up for resale. And my thought process was originally hey, Maybe I'll buy the business brokerage firm and I'll get the inside track on deals. Right. And be able to find my next great business. Um, oh. So we did that in 2013. And then, you know, as the years went by, I was like, actually, this is the next great business is this business brokerage firm. Um, so we were able to acquire multiple offices um, after that and, and grow to where we are today.
1: So your husband and you're still you still run the business together.
2: Yeah, we do. Uh, My husband, we kind of divide and conquer. My husband's a great salesperson. So he, he's always led the sales efforts in all of our businesses. And then my responsibilities is more on the support and marketing side.
1: Wonderful, you know, um, many many moons ago, I was involved in a franchise, and um, so I'm, I'm, and one of the ways we actually grew the initial um, chain of stores was through acquisition. So I'm a big fan of you. You don't have to start at at ground zero just to make it your own. If you can buy an existing business with cash flow, customers, and things like that, that's a pretty good thing. Do you do you work with people to help them um, buy businesses, or are you more on the selling side, or or both?
2: We do both. Um, Our office is probably about 80% sell-side, but we do have buy-side services. And that's actually been a growing segment of our business as more entrepreneurs are becoming savvy about growing through acquisition. Um, It's it's an increasing trend right now. So we're doing some more buy-side work.
1: Okay. Um, I was looking at your blog, which has got a lot of good information on it. So people should check that out. Uh, we'll give the uh, URL soon. Um, but your business valuation is too high. A guide to what your business is really worth. I mean, it's—it's. It's, I'm sure you'd agree that most of the people you work with, if not 100%, think their business is worth far more than <laughs> than it really yes. is.
2: Yeah. And, you know, and I was in the same boat originally, and I think it goes back to that education piece of we're not really taught about how businesses are valued. And, um, and we hear like business valuations in the news, right? You'll hear that Facebook bought some company for billion a billion dollars at eight times multiple, Right. And, um, you think that applies down to the small business level and, and it actually doesn't cause there's a lot more risk in small business acquisitions. So, um, we put articles out there like that is I'm a big believer in let's not, you know, paint rainbows and unicorns when it comes to business valuation. Let's just be realistic about what the business is worth. And then if it doesn't hit the target that the seller wants, let's figure out a plan how to get to that target.
1: So w- walk us through the, uh, let's say you're a small business owner, you're doing half a million dollars a year, maybe have one or two employees or just some subcontractors, but you've got, you know, decent cash flow, predictable. It's a service-based business. We can say anything we want, but it's a service-based business. How do you go about valuing that? I mean, if, if you don't have a storefront where there's inventory and, and showcases and, you know, a delivery truck, things like that. If you're a service, based, like a business coach, how do you go about mm-hmm. determining the value?
2: Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I, I think as our culture, business culture has changed, actually those service-based companies have become increasing, like there's an increased demand for them. So what we do is we look at the earnings, um, which is a function of your net profit and what you take home as an owner. It's called seller's discretionary earnings. So mm-hmm. It's basically like your net profit plus your owner's salary is the the simplistic formula. Um, and then we take a multiple of those earnings and that's based on, um, the quantity. So the more earnings you have, the higher the multiple is. And it's also based on the quality of the business. You know, what's the business reputation like, um, how involved is the owner in day-to-day operations versus being the actual owner, not the operator. Um, so those things will drive your multiple. Um, and then obviously your industry, um, there's some desirability factors with where you're located in the U S. Um, but that multiple can range from anywhere between one and six times, uh, depending on all those factors. Um, and, and usually if you're talking to a business broker like myself or a business evaluator, we'll be able to pull comparable private sales that show actual transactions that occurred in similar businesses to yours.
1: I know there's a lot of things that go into the whole business valuation, but what would what would be some of the things that you would look at you know, when you're looking at somebody's business and say, this is, this is going to be the, the high side, like a, a multiple of six versus three or four.
2: Yeah. It's all really driven by buyer preferences. And right now buyers are the, first of all, they always desire stability. So first and foremost, we're looking at stability of earnings over time. We'll usually look back over a three to five year period Um, and we're also looking for a a growth, right. And it doesn't have to be, you know, 50% growth every year. Like if we're showing a steady 15 to 20% growth year over year on your profit, um, that's really positive. Um, buyers, like I also already mentioned, they value businesses where the owner is the owner, not the Mm -hmm. operator. So more wearing that CEO hat, um, those businesses are more valuable and then one big trend that's been going on probably for the last five or seven years is recurring revenue. So is it a business model where the, you have recurring revenue either month over month or year over year? And it doesn't have to be like the tech membership models we think about, but going back to our, our life coach or business coach example, maybe, maybe they have a proven track record of their clients are renewing annually on an 80% basis or something like mm. that. Very interesting. Um, so, those are like the top three that buyers ask for and value highest.
1: So, w- what are the first steps when somebody comes to you? Um, well, actually, let me ask you this before. This mm-hmm. is the way my mind's racing. Um, yeah. You know, when you're a small business owner, there are certain things that you expense through the business. Mm-hmm. we all know what they are right but yep. <laughs> then when you're looking to and because obviously that's why you're a business owner and it also the expense drives down the profit which is therefore less of a tax burden but that yet when you're selling a business people go instantly to the bottom line and go oh that's much less than I thought and they don't ha- do you have to train buyers to look within you know after gross margin do you have mm-hmm. to look at the all the expenses before the bottom line? Do you teach them that or, or or do you tell somebody, look, for the next three years, don't be taking things out of the business?
2: Yeah, it's it's a tricky game because I, I know the tax game, right? And we yes. all play it. So right. um, and, and a big part of the buyer pool is actually what we call corporate retirees. So they're leaving jobs from corporate for 20 or 30 years and they don't get the entrepreneurial accounting game, let's call it. Um, so they, they often get a little concerned when they see a lot of personal expenses through the business. So we coach sellers that if you can limit those personal expenses in a year, two, three years in a perfect world, leading up to sale, that's really important. Now there's, there's some things like say, say you're using, um, your personal cell phone and you're running that expense through the business, mm-hmm. um, or a personal vehicle expenses. If we're talking like one or two things, we can do something called an add back, which adds that expense back to your bottom line. But if those one or two things become five things or 10 things, it often becomes a red flag for not just the business buyer, but their banker. That's also going to finance the deal. Um, and sometimes those deals won't go through because the buyer and the banker will look at it as the sellers treating the business as their own personal piggy bank whether right. that's true or not that's just their perception right
1: mm-hmm. um i'm curious if you do you suggest people sell a business at its peak I think every business has a, you know, a cycle, right? If you, mm-hmm. you start, you're, you're bootstrapping and you, you grow and grow and grow, and maybe you even plateau, but you're at a high level. And then something changes, whether it's technology, whatever, and you start to go down a little bit, you're still very profitable, but you're, you're trailing off from your peak. Is that a good time to exit or, or do you try and um, right the ship, so to speak?
2: Um, the best time to exit is right before the peak. Uh, Um, it's not always, it's, it's very hard to time. Right. Um, but there are certain signs, like when we sold our first wine business, I mentioned part of, um, what we did was online sales. And, um, this is back in 2012 and we had been selling a lot of luxury wine online. And that was right when Gary V um, from New Jersey was getting started with the wine library and a bunch of the luxury retailers were going online. mm -hmm. And we saw the signs that, our peak was near, right. Because we're going to have competitors entering the market that were more well funded than us, that we're going to drive our margins down. So if you can time it like that, that's, that's best. Um, but oftentimes it's hard to see those signs. I mean, we just went through a year long period where I, I bet a bunch of businesses hit the peak and went over and didn't even know, see it coming. Right. Um, so that's the best time to sell, but you can sell at any time. It's just always going to be a function of, of what that valuation is going to be. So
1: you were actually in the online wine business beef. Just you're saying just before Gary started doing his whole wine library thing.
2: About the same time, um, mm-hmm. you know, and we, we were focused in different segments of the market. So he started off in like the more affordable care category where we were definitely in the luxury category. Right. Um, so we weren't directly competing, but the, the uh, attention he brought to online wine sales brought a bunch of the other luxury um, retailers online too. And that's really where our competition started.
1: Wow, that's really fascinating. So what are some of the things that somebody could do right now, even if they're thinking, boy, I'm gonna be in my business for 10, 15 years, but eventually they're gonna, they're gonna wanna cash out. What are some of the things they can do now to increase the value of their business?
2: So it's a great question. So the first thing is to look at the financials. And if you can clean up some of those personal expenses, if you want to leave them in the business, and and I'm not an accountant, I'll I'll put that disclaimer out there. (laughs) to talk to your accountant. But if you want to leave them in the business, try and keep them in one or two categories and keep backup receipts. So they're very easily explainable to a buyer or a banker. Um, The second thing is starting to work yourself out of your job right? So the, the biggest qualitative factor you can, can do, like we talked about is moving yourself to that CEO hat. So starting to hand off some of your responsibilities in the business day to day, especially those that are revenue generating or customer facing, um, that's the biggest risk factor in selling a business is, you know, then the buyer has to step in. And what if the customers are doing business with me? Cause they like me, right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the second biggest thing that I say is just start working yourself out of your job, starting with the customer facing responsibilities first, and then kind of moving into admin and then hiring and management and kind of down the line.
1: Yeah. I, I tell some of my clients when I tiptoe into this area, I said, the best deal is one where you, you go to closing on Friday and the owner can turn the keys on Monday and everything runs as if you were never there, <laughs> right? Exactly. You, systems yep. and everything's in place. Um, One of your blog posts I really like, uh, The Art of Delegation, a a chapter in one of my books I call Delegate or Stay Small Forever. (laughs) Talk Mm -hmm. about the importance of delegation.
2: So it's really important what we were just talking about, right, is making sure that you're not doing the day to day, but also like, and I forget which author. So one of the authors talks about delegating and elevating. So -hmm. not just delegating your responsibilities to employee, but making sure that they have decision-making capabilities and they're actually owning that role or that, um, job, because if they're still coming to you and asking you for permission on everything, the same thing's going to happen to a new buyer. So that turnkey situation that you're just talking about doesn't quite happen.
1: Um, so let's say you're running your business. You've decided to put it for sale. Maybe they've reached out to you to you and your uh, your husband, um, and so those kind of like they're running their their business day to day. What are some of the things they should be doing, or is your best client one that just hands the ball to you and you go do your thing? We'll do our thing, or is it kind of a you know a, a team effort?
2: I mean, it's a team effort, but, but really we need the business owners focused on continuing to run their business, um, going through a a prep for sale process and a sale process is it's a trying time. It's a lot of work. Um, And it's, it's emotional and stressful. And if we can relieve a lot of that sale responsibilities from the owner, so they can make sure the business continues to run at the same level it did before they enter the market. um, That's the ideal situation. Obviously they're involved along the way and they're kept up to speed and they're meeting with buyers and and qualifying people and determining how we're going to take the business to market. But really our, our role is to take, that responsibility and that stress off their shoulders during that time mm. period.
1: Um, another blog post, which is, shows how great your blog is, because it's oh, one you. of the places like, <laughs> yeah, one of the places I go when I'm, I'm looking for content and questions just to get to know you is, is the blog. So you have a good blog. It says the best thing you can do for your business is take a free day.
2: Is that oh, sort yeah. of
1: the same thing, kind of working yourself out of a job one day at a time?
2: Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting. It was a concept that was introduced to me by a friend of mine. And she said, you know, one of the best tests for your business is to, to go on a sabbatical for three weeks. Um, and sometimes you can't do that right off the bat, right? So you work your way into that three weeks. So a concept, um, she introduced me to was called a free day is just, you know, where you turn off all your technology, you know, cause like business owners like us, oftentimes it's not a five day a week job, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So,
2: um, you turn off all your technology. You're not accessible to your team one day a week, um, preferably during the week. So you're testing your team to see during a work week. Can they, can they run the business without you? Um, And then over time, you grow that free day to a free week or maybe a free two weeks. And then you take your three or four weeks sabbatical. And it's a really good test to see if you can step away from the business and the business still continues to perform.
1: I think I know the answer, which is almost always going to be at the very last minute. But when do you alert staff and or possibly vendors, you know, partners, things like that? I mean, that's that's something you kind of keep to yourself, uh, kind of a need to know basis.
2: Yeah. And it, there's some situations where it's not true. Um, so if you have a key executive or a key sales producer, um, that is going to be very important that they stay on for the new buyer. Oftentimes we'll get them involved in the conversation in the very last stages. So they feel like they're involved. But um, like I said, it is a long process. So the average transaction takes about eight and a half months w- once you list the business for sale. So even before that, there might be stuff going on um, and deals fall apart. And it, it's a stressful, like I mentioned on the owner, and we really want to prevent the staff from going through that too. Um, mm. The ups and downs, um, you know, some deals never come together. And and then the other thing is too, is that in small business transactions, we see fairly good transitions. Like the buyers want to keep the staff, like they want, they want to keep them. They want to make them happier. Oftentimes they bring ideas like raises and new benefits to the table as we're getting close to the transition. But most of the customers and employees of small businesses don't hear about acquisitions. And the only acquisitions they'll hear about is in the news of big wall street companies. And usually the second paragraph after so-and-so acquired this company is and then there's going to be around the layoffs, right? For consolidation. Yeah. So those employees, it's just generates fear and stress. And it's, it's really unnecessary to put them through that.
1: Do You guys work anywhere or do you have certain territories you work?
2: So we work primarily in Colorado, um, across the whole state in the Dallas Fort Worth area. And then coming soon, we will be also operating in, um, Southern Las Vegas. Um, so those are our primary, uh, focus areas that we do accept, um, deals across the country, but because we're part of the trans world franchise network too, I also have, um, partners in almost every major market I can refer and partner deals to.
1: Wow, that's interesting. I mean, that's a certainly good part of franchising. You know, what uh, have, have this network of folks, which makes the whole team stronger, assuming everybody plays with that same mindset. Um, right. Jessica, I'm curious, what are some of the mistakes that you see uh, small business owners make when they sell their business and not mistakes that, that you make per se, but um, yeah. what are mistakes they make uh, uh, up until the point they, they hire you or work with you? And even after, after you've hired, I mean, you, you can only control so much because they're still in charge.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, the first one, and this is kind of self-serving, but uh, it's, it's not to try and do it yourself. It's mm-hmm. and whether you hire a broker like me, a coach, an investment banker, um, your attorney helps you need help on these transactions. They're actually, even for a small business, they're very complex. Um, there's a lot of, of, of legal stuff that you're going to have to sign. And, and you definitely want an attorney on your team reviewing it. Um, and then also when I see owners try and do it, it takes their attention away from the business and the business often suffers during that process, which then in turn reduces the valuation and then they get less at the closing table and it's a whole cycle. Um, and then the second big mistake, and this is so hard and it was hard for me to, is try to not take the transaction personally. Um, so I mentioned a, a lot of our buyers, about 80% of small business buyers are corporate refugee, or I call them corporate refugees or corporate retirees. Like they've left corporate, but they've never been a small business owner or an entrepreneur before. And, um, sometimes they, they can say things that come off judgmental or, you know, even times demeaning about how they've, you've run the business in the past. And it's just cause they don't know, right. They've never sat in your shoes. And I see some business owners really take, um, those things to heart and take them personally and, and sometimes kill a deal, um, mm. a good deal because they, they don't like the person sitting on the other side of the table it, it, in that relationship, usually like it'll evolve over time. So buyer might come in with a, a bunch of different opinions about the business. And once they become more informed, there's starts to build more respect to, between the two parties. Um, so on the flip side, I always tell buyers to be nice, right? Because you can kill a deal by being over judgmental. But I mean, it, it's hard not to take it personal, especially when it's something you've built. It's been like your baby. Um, but, but it, it's, it's important to keep a level head through the whole deal.
1: Be nice until it's time not to be nice. <laughs> right, exactly.
2: <laughs> Somebody's going to catch that reference
1: to that famous 80s movie. (laughs) Um, So I'm curious. So, uh, oh, shoot, I only got three more minutes with you. Um, I think I saw somewhere on your website, there's an ultimate guide to buying a business. Did I understand that? Or if not, then you should make one before this comes out.
2: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, actually. So um, I have a a podcast as well uh, with my co-host, Andy Cagnetta, who runs um, the Transworld Corporate Office. And we have a series of for a three-part podcast series about the ultimate guide to buying a business. And it's um, all our business tips that we've put together over the last two and a half years of running the podcast.
1: And so where can they get that?
2: They can get it. Um, the podcast is called The Deal Board and you can find us on iTunes. You can also find us at thedealboardpodcast.com.
1: I'm looking at it right now. The deal board, D-E-A-L-B-O-A-R-D, like as in boardroom. So the dealboardpodcast.com. Okay, that's cool. I knew I, knew I saw that somewhere. So um, that's where you get that. And Jessica, what's your, what's your official contact information? Where can they reach out and uh, connect with you?
2: Yeah, so you can email me directly, Jessica at t-world.com. Um, And you can also find out more information about our business brokerage office at tworlddenver.com.
1: T-World Denver. Let me just write this down. T-World Denver. So um, you want T-World Denver, not the um, Jessica Fialkovich? Yeah. Denver.com. All right. I'll make sure I give that to the team here. All right. Well, Jessica, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I hope um, uh, some people reach out to you when they're they're getting ready to retire or go sit on the beach and do whatever you want to do with this great asset that you've created called your small business. Thank you so much, Jessica.
2: Thank you, Captain Jim. Thank you for having me on the show.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Hey, folks, that wraps up this very special episode with Jessica Fialkovich. Jessica Palmer Fialkovich. She is a business expert, and you can reach out to her at uh, tworlddenver.com. Did I get that right, T-World Denver? Yes, you did. Gosh, look at that. TWorldDenver.com. No, no mistakes this episode. Um, if you're connected with me, Captain Jim, only here in my podcast, you can fix that by going to GetJimPalmer.com, www.GetJimPalmer.com, or learn more about my dream business mastermind at DreamBizCoaching, DreamBizCoaching.com. But that's it. Until this time next week, another fantastic interview. I'm Captain Jim Palmer, and you take good care.